0: We've been talking for weeks about how Paul is addressing the church in Rome, about how they have been freed from the Mosaic Law through a relationship in Christ. But what are the Mosaic Laws? That's what we're going to start off with today, because we may think we know what they are. Um, we, we probably know some of them. I bet we haven't memorized all of them. So today we're going to take a step back to the first five books of the Old Testament, that's also called the Torah or the law. And we're gonna look at the Mosaic laws. We're gonna look at what are these things that Paul keeps saying you're free from? (laughs) It would be nice to know that, right? And again, one of the reasons we're going to go and look at that is because the audience for Paul's letter to the church in Rome is probably a majority of people who were either Jewish at one point or who knew about Judaism and so this is why Paul keeps kind of focusing on this. So today, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and read several passages, starting in Exodus, and, and there's little bits of the law in all five books of the, of the first five books of the Old Testament, which are what? Genesis? Yeah, it's called the Pentateuch. Oh.
1: Ah.
0: Heart. Very good. Very good. We know our star student today. Yep. No, very good. No, that's great. Um... <clears throat> So what are they? What are the, the individual books? Genesis, Genesis. Exodus. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right. So we're going to start today, and, and maybe I'll start very first by saying you already know what the first ten of them are. You should know what the first ten laws of the Mosaic laws are. And what are what do we call those? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments right. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not covet. Etc. Etc. <clears throat> But there is a whole lot of other laws that Moses brought down um, from Mount Horeb to give to the, to the Hebrews, and we're going to talk about those today. So we're going to start off in Exodus, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 6.
2: So then God said to Moses, these are the laws for living that you will give to the Israelites. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he will serve you for six years. In the seventh year, you are to set him free, and he will have to pay nothing. If he is not married when he becomes your slave, he must leave without a wife. But if he is married when he becomes your slave, he may take his wife with him. If the slave's master gives him a wife, and she gives birth to sons or daughters, the woman and her children will belong to the master. But when the slave is set free, only he may leave. But if the slave says, "I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I don't want to go free," then the slave's master must take him to God. The master is to take him to a door or a door frame and punch a hole through his ear using a sharp tool. Then the slave will serve that master all his life. If a man sells his daughter, is this... I got to.
0: Okay. You're, you're doing great. Oh, was that it? Okay. That was
2: it. Sorry. Um, I'm trying to get outside.
0: <laughs> and then, <laughs> well, that's it, right? You can just keep going. Uh, and let's go ahead and do then, let's jump ahead. And we're, we're trying to hit different topics here. So here we have social laws, um, responsibilities as far as slave and master. Let's go ahead and read Exodus 22, 1 to 5.
2: Okay, if a man steals a bull or a sheep and kills or sells it, he must pay back five bulls for the one bull he stole and four sheep for the one sheep he stole. The robber who is caught must pay back what he stole. If he owns nothing, he must be sold as a slave to pay for what he stole. If the stolen animal is found alive with the robber, he must give the owner two animals for every animal he stole, whether it is a bull, donkey, or sheep. If a thief is killed while breaking into a house at night, the one who killed him is not guilty of murder, but if this happens during the day, he is guilty of murder. If a man lets his farm animal graze in his field or vineyard, and it wanders into another man's field or vineyard, the owner of the animal must pay back the loss from the best of his crop.
0: So, pause. Think about the Mosaic laws as, and here's modern terms for you, the Ten Commandments are like your zip file, <laughs> right? They're kind of the, everything is packaged up, condensed, um, synthesized down into a small unit that kind of explains everything. And the Ten Commandments are that, they kind of are laws that kind of explain and cover everything at a, in a broad general brush stroke. But when you unzip that file, right, you unpackage it, now you get all of the little pieces and details, and now you've just heard, you know, thou shalt not steal, right? But now we hear about what happens if you do steal. That's part of the Mosaic Laws. It's kind of like, here's the retribution, here's how you can make things right, and if you don't make things right, here's how things will go very wrong for you. All right, let's go ahead and we're gonna just take the next stab here, Exodus 23, 10 to 13.
2: For six years you are to plant and harvest crops on your land, then during the seventh year do not plow or plant your land if any food grows there allow the poor people to have it and let the wild animals eat what is left you should do the same with your vineyards and your orchards of olive trees you should work six days a week but on the seventh day you must rest this lets your ox and donkey rest and it also lets the slave born in your house and the foreigner be refreshed be sure to do all that i've said to you you must not even say the names of other gods those names must not come out of your mouth
0: thank you okay Go ahead and skip ahead here let's go to leviticus <coughs> leviticus 11 1 to 8.
3: and the lord spoke to moses and aaron saying to them speak to the people of israel saying these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth whatever parts the root parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat nevertheless among those that chew the cud or part the hoof you shall not eat these animals the camel because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of, any of their flesh and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you.
0: So, pause again. A lot of the the Mosaic laws that Jesus and then his disciples and then Paul are going to talk about in the New Testament have to do with the food laws, right? This was a big deal. Now, not everyone, not every Jew may have a slave that they have to worry about getting their ear punched and this and that. Um, Not every Jew was married. Not every Jew will, and as we'll see, come down with leprosy, right? Um, But there's one thing that every single Jew had in common, and that is they all had to eat. And so the food laws are a really big part of the example of what, especially Paul, is going to talk about as far as a, a life in Christ means freedom from all of these regulations that for thousands of years you have been essentially kind of uh, chained to. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. Let's do a Leviticus 12, 1 to 7, and you can just do the first half there.
3: The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at, that, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean, and on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days, in the blood of her purifying she shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed but if she bears a female child then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days and when the days of her purifying are completed whether for a son or for a daughter she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting of tent of meeting, a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a troll dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her.
0: And now let's go ahead and do the last one here, Leviticus 14, verses 1 to 9.
4: Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look. And if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet string and hyssop. For the one who is to be cleansed, the priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the lit in and the live bird in the lit in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. And the one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. It will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows and all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean.
0: Now this goes on and on. I mean, this particular passage about cleaning someone from infectious diseases goes on for at least another, uh, there's two thirds more to this. And on and on and on. Very specific details about the rituals you have to go through, and that's just for cleaning someone from an infectious disease. Now, uh, there's further examples. What if you have mildew in your house? Believe it or not, that made it into the Bible. Uh, you know um, you know and then of course there's there's many laws about sexual activity. Um, there's there's then again religious laws, the day of atonement, how you're supposed to conduct yourself when um, worshiping the kinds of, of things you're going to build to worship God and this all revolves around things like the temple, which began with a tabernacle. Um, the you know, the, the lampstand, which we know is a candelabra. Um, the showbread that you put out. Uh, the, the incense that you burn. And, of course, the Holy of Holies, which we know um, contains the Ark of the Covenant. It goes on and on. Now, that's just what's in our canon of the Old Testament, what we would call the first five books. But since that was written, a number of, of additional laws and rules and regulations have been written by the first century. And so by the time you get to Paul, who's finally writing all of this about Jesus and about his, you know, the, the relationship with Jesus that frees you from all of this, you don't just have the first five books. I mean, imagine, you know, if this is, this is the Torah here, imagine this, has now turned into volumes many, many, many stacks high. Everything that you can possibly imagine to basically say how you're supposed to conduct your life if you are a quote, good Jew. So think about that today as we now get back into Romans, as, you know, the Mosaic laws is not just thou shalt not kill, right? It goes far, far, far beyond that. So what are the Mosaic laws? There's your taste. And, you know, look, I would encourage you, homework, to go and read these. Um, Go through the lists um, uh, in, in the first five books of the Bible and just get a sense for how deep this went. And then get a sense for if you really are a pious Jew of the first century, what are you kind of saddled with? And and I kind of use that word on purpose, saddled. Think of all the baggage now that you're carrying with you if you really want to be a, quote, good Jew, that it's gone so far beyond serving God at this point. It's it's now a cultural thing. It's now how are people in your community going to treat you if you're not doing those things, right? And then you start to see, when you read the Gospels or you read Acts, and people like Peter are sitting down having a meal with a Gentile, how atrocious that would have seemed to the Jewish community of the time. Now it all starts to make sense, right? Now think, okay, now think about what Paul is actually writing to this church in Rome now, and how shocking this would have been. This is, this is one of the most shocking things these people would have ever heard. <clears throat> Okay, let's actually read. Well, first I want to do the question. So here's kind of the things we're talking about today. What are the Mosaic Laws? We've talked a little about that. This might seem a little funny to you. How is marriage kind of an analogy of sin? (laughs) Or Christ? Believe it or not, there's a very specific reason uh, that Paul talk about this. And how is, (laughs) more funny, how is death a release from marriage Right? What does the indwelling mean of sin versus the Holy Spirit in a person? And by indwelling, what does it mean that those things are controlling you? Here's a good one. Are humans inherently sinful? Or are they inherently good? Depending on what community you ask, you might get very different answers. We're going to ask Paul. And then, finally, what was the purpose of the Mosaic Law? We've talked about this. We're going to continue to hit on it. Paul is going to continue to hit this point what he says the purpose of the Mosaic law was or purposes. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and just jump right in and we're going to read from Romans 7. We're going to do verses 1 to 6.
5: Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code.
0: God gave us marriage
5: for many reasons
0: but the concept of marriage in the New Testament especially has some very specific theological meanings. What does marriage represent here? Captivity. Okay, <laughs> we all say that with a wink and a smile, right? <laughs> Captivity, right? And he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. So let's write this down. <clears throat> and before everyone gets really upset, He's right. <laughs> okay, he's right in a theological sense. What else does it mean?
4: Following of laws,
0: it kept Ah, okay. So we have captivity. <clears throat> we have following laws. What else?
3: You're, you're
0: bound to something. Yes. Like bound. Ooh, let me write this. These are great. Like a covenant. That is a great one. That is a great one. What does covenant mean? In other words, a contract, an agreement. An agreement. Yep. <clears throat> what else is it? It's a promise. See, it can't all be bad. It's a promise. Is it a two way promise? Better believe it. Ooh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that, progressive? <laughs> okay so an earth. what you're getting at is an earthly marriage between a man and a woman also has the third component which is, which is God right okay <clears throat> let me, let me <laughs> change what you're saying um, let me say this and, and maybe you're not saying this God is involved <clears throat> I'm going to say it that way for a for very good reason here what other anything else What is what is Paul saying here in the first part about the nature of marriage versus um, death? What happens upon death to a physical earthly marriage? It ends. so it can end It can end <clears throat> and does end. okay Paul is using, physical marriage for a very, very good reason. Because it is a great analogy that all of us understand. Look, um, Jesus told many parables. Parable in Greek, parabola, means a comparison. Literally, two things thrown together to compare. He did it for a very good reason. Because a lot of the spiritual knowledge he was trying to impart can be very abstract. It can be hard to understand. So he always used terms that we all get in our normal everyday life. He used Concepts from people, families, relationships, work, the physical world, how seeds, you know, are spread and scattered, so on and so forth. There's one here, there's one term for marriage, I think, that we need to write here that's probably the most important one. It starts with an R, ends in relationship. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably one of the most key ones. It, it, It... signifies a very important relationship between at least two people, right? The relationship here. Now, we understand marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman, but there are many instances where the apostles or even Jesus himself related marriage to a spiritual one. When people like Jesus or the apostles talk about the bride of Christ, who is he talking about? Who are they talking about? You're looking at it. Us, and when he says the church, Lorna, what do you mean by the church? The people, the people yeah. who what? Have, uh, of eternal
4: life.
0: Yes, people who have committed themselves to Christ. <clears throat> so, it can be a physical relationship; it can also be a spiritual one. Now, Paul is is talking about this piece here, and. You know, um, this idea about death and about a physical marriage that when one person dies, the, the living party is then free to marry someone else, right? Now, the point here is he's not, he's not trying to, to really stick it to people, you know, for, for you know their marriage choices or for any adulterous reasons, for divorce or anything like that. That's not really his point here. His point, what he's trying to get at here, is the spiritual implication of that. If you die on earth, your spouse is free to marry someone else. Now he's going to use that analogy in a spiritual sense. What does verse 4 say? So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. In a spiritual sense, before you are saved, who are you married to? Law and 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 this is it. Let's talk about this. So, here's the spiritual. I'm going to focus on this. Pre Christ, married to sin through the law. This is a really 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 important one. This is the foundation of Romans seven. Before you give your life to Christ you are married to sin. What does married imply? We're bound. We're bound. We're captive. We have to follow its rules. We do follow its rules. One might also say you're kind of compelled. <clears throat> There's, there is a bit of a concept of compulsion here. Um, newlyweds in your first weeks, months of marriage, who is the one person you're probably thinking about above all else? There is a right answer, Nathan. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, buddy. There's a right answer.
1: <laughs> good.
0: You're bound to them. There's a promise. I promise, you may not have said, I promise to follow you, sin. Heather's not sin. Let's go back to the spiritual. You have made a promise. You've made a promise because that is your master. Remember last week in Romans 6, we talked about this idea of bondage, but but more specifically slavery, right? We all serve a master or masters, whether you want to admit it or not. You have masters in your life that you have given yourself almost completely and totally to. And there's probably more than one. Before you give your life to Christ, your master is sin. And that's, that's what Paul is saying. Now, Paul is making the case here that, well, how did you know what sin was? For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies. What? Wait a minute. If you're a Jew of the first century, you just heard him say that. You're probably red in the face. Why? What does the law mean to you? Yes! You think it means salvation. And so, Nathan, what are you doing every day of your life if you're a pious Jew? Trying to follow the law as closely as possible. Uh, I'm going to write this one. Uh, following, I'm going to say this right here. This is it. You're following the rules. Tell your wife you love her. It's a rule. Perform the actions on a honeydew do list. See? Be home at a reasonable hour. Always tell her if you're going to be out with your friends. See, I'm you know, helping you here. <laughs> there's, there's a set of rules that you're following also, whether you know it or not or whether you've committed to it. <clears throat> Paul is making the case here. Guess what? For 1,400 years, you've been following the law of Moses. We just read a whole bunch of them but you weren't following maybe for the reasons you thought you were following them. And when you finally gave your life to Christ, guess what happened? Right at the end here, but now, by dying what once bound us, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way the spirit and not the old way of the written code When you're baptized physically in water, what does that represent? Burial. Death. Resurrection. What happens spiritually with the Holy Spirit? (coughs) Comes. The spiritual act of baptism is one of spirit and of fire. You have died and been reborn, and and baptism represents a spiritual break. Break. You have been divorced, died, gotten away from sin. You've died to sin. Sin is no longer your spouse. It ended. And now you've been reborn. And guess who you're married to now as a a Christian? This is a a good one. This is Christ. You're now the bride of Christ. Thoughts?
1: It changes you.
0: I'm going to add that to our list because I think it's an important part. A physical marriage, you want to do what's right, I think. I think people who get married in general, maybe at the beginning, want to do what's right. Now think of that in a spiritual sense. When you're married to Christ, now you want to do what's right. But here we have a real true righteousness that only can be supplied by your partner. And who's your partner in a Christian sense here? Jesus Christ. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but. <clears throat> there's a,
6: there's a lot of things that you're not tied to anymore. Like you're not tied to all the, uh. the, um, the, the flaws. Um, there's it? He talks to uh, Paul or Peter about going, go, rise up, kill and eat, mm-hmm. and then I want to say that uh, it was Paul that said that everything.
0: This is a huge one, freedom. And it might seem paradoxical to you in a sense. Now that I'm married, I'm free. Ah. But there is meaning here. How many spouses, after they got married, said, Phew, now I don't have to try as hard? <laughs> I'm free, right? It's a joke. But is it? <laughs> You said it.
1: No point in
0: me. Mexican standoff. <clears throat> That's right. You know, I think, I think you're absolutely right here, Roger, in the sense that bondage can mean good or bad things. When we're bond- bound to sin, it's this idea that you're a captive of sin. When you're a captive of someone or something, who's controlling you? The master is controlling you. The master is controlling you. Now, this now begs the question, who do you want controlling you? I have already told you one true statement, which I believe to be fact. That is, everyone has at least one master in this this world. Some people have many masters. The whole concept of a master and slave relationship is the master controls the slave. Now, who is your master? Think about it. Make a list in your head. You don't have to say it if you don't want to. Who controls you? Who do you serve unconditionally? Now I'm going to get at what Roger is saying here, is that Christ gives you something so special is to say, look, all you have to do is say, you're my bondservant, you're my disciple, you're my follower, and it's all going to be okay. You now have freedom. You are free from the bondage of the things that controlled you that were making you do things you didn't want to do. Is that good or bad? almost like you're going to pay this cost no matter who you're paying it to. Someone's getting your money. Someone's getting your spiritual money.
1: For some reason, we've, we have in our heads that all of this you know, following Jesus is going to take things from us. He's going to. Ooh, yeah. prohibit yeah, yeah us from doing things, and what it really does is it frees us up for so much more that we don't even understand. We can't look ahead and say this is what I'm going to, how I'm going to benefit. <coughs> That's the freedom mm-hmm. that he gives
0: us. Is he's, he's not just trying to take stuff away from us. He's trying to give us
1: more, 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 more garbage out of the way. So Isn't that great, Ken? I. don't so yep. go outside the church and view the mm-hmm. church as being the opposite
0: of that. Yep. The polling, yep. The
1: list of
0: Isn't that, that something? Yep. Uh, all the while,
1: they're being <clears throat>
0: That is so deep. I totally agree with that. I'm going to. That is like the title of this whole class, Steve. That's so true. See,
2: because we have hope, but they don't.
0: That is so true.
2: Endures that they don't
0: understand. They're pointing at us, saying, "Look at all those rules," and you're following. You know, you're you don't get to have any fun. You don't have any freedom. And meanwhile, they are enslaved. Enslaved. If you're
1: if you're driving through the Home Depot parking lot at two in the morning, and you come to a stop sign. A stop sign is there for a reason no. not a too important
0: guy. let's, you know and it's, it, choose. it's a good point and, and when you look back at some of the, the Levitical or maybe most of the Mosaic and Levitical laws what do you tend to notice? things that seem pedantic but at some level probably kept them out of a lot of trouble you can talk about if you're a scientist, trichinosis one of the most serious diseases of eating uncooked pork in the world Thankfully now, the incidents in in the U.S. are very low. Um, However, in antiquity, it was very common that if you ate a pork product, you would get sick and sometimes die. God was giving these people these rules for a reason. You may not think it. Don't eat a rabbit that just scurries into your yard. Why? It may have rabies. (laughs) Right? Well, like,
2: that's why a lot of Jews got a lot of hate, like, in the Middle Ages, and they would think that they would be persecuted, because the Jewish community was very clean, and they were...
0: Yeah. They had their food laws and they would And now that sounds like Israel us, right? <laughs> and other
2: food, mm-hmm. right?
0: That's exactly it. And now an outside group looks at us saying, oh, look at all your rules and your laws. and your... Now it's, different. it's a little different with us. But I get a bed this thing. There are definitely misconceptions about what this all means and assumptions. But I like this too. There's hope. Why do we get married? I would hope for the most part. It's because people want to and they think that there's going to be some value in it for them, right? Okay, let's go on. We've got we to gotta finish out this thought, because we've only really kind of done the first half of it. <clears throat> Struggling with sin, <coughs> verses 7 to the end. Let's go ahead and read that, please.
7: What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good did that which is good then become death to me by no means nevertheless in order that sin might be recognized as sin it is used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful we know that the law is spiritual but i am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin i do not understand what i do for what i want to do i do not do but what i hate to do but what i hate i do And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin.
0: You have just read the Socrates, the Plato, and the Homer of the first century rolled up into just a few sentences. This is the height of Paul's philosophy, of his philosophical contribution to world understanding, right here in Romans. There's a reason why Romans is called the pinnacle of Paul's thinking, and Paul was the pinnacle of Christian thinking. It's right here, folks. This is the mountaintop. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. What? You'll really get your wheels spinning here. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful? As it is, it is no longer I, myself, who do it, but it is sin living within me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What? What is going on here? Struggle. Struggle. Excellent point. Excellent question. And get at what is what what happens at marriage? I put the ring on her finger and I say I do. Is everything good from then on out? <laughs> You're never gonna be tempted again, right? It's all roses.
1: <laughs> it's interesting too, it's really revealing about the Apostle Paul. Yep. More so than any other author in the Bible. Yep says I'm struggling. I struggle with mm-hmm. sin just like you struggle with sin. And so you, you never read yes. anything for Peter that, that uh, indicates that. But Paul comes right out and says, you know, I am not
0: good. I sin. That is excellent. I
1: do
0: what I don't want to do. Yep. It's so relatable. Yes. You know? <laughs> that's what's so
2: relatable. Because <laughs> you feel that same struggle within yourself. You know, you say something and it comes out and you're like, oh, I didn't want to do that. Why did I, you know, because you do what you don't want
0: to do. <laughs> if I was making this all up, it's all a bunch of hooey, just trying to get converts to give me money because the Christians were so rich in the first century. <laughs> Why would I include this? Yeah. Why would I include that I am broken and imperfect if I'm trying to convince you to follow Christ to be Perfect. <laughs> It makes no sense.
1: He would stopped at the part where he said, I'm, I'm a Jew of all Jews, and I'm yep. this That's it. and that, and all these things, that I was perfect.
0: There you go. End story. And this isn't the only passage where Paul is like this. Every single letter that he writes, he includes the fact that he is a broken, imperfect person, and he includes the struggles that he's struggling with. No
6: matter where are, am
0: How can we apply that to us? A previous minister
6: said he wanted his wife to love God more than she loved
4: him, and vice versa with her.
0: Okay. She
4: wanted him to love God more than her.
0: Let me ask you this. Taking what you've just read about Paul and his humility... <coughs> How can you apply this to your evangelism?
6: Lose all judgment, be real. Uh
0: Yep. Jesus and God the you and go to hell, and they, they, that's all they hear. They do hear the love and the grace and all that kind of stuff. But yet, that's yep.
6: what we have, you know. Now I think we need to be more judgmental of each other, you know. Like, hey, you're not supposed to be doing
0: that. Hmm?
6: But when it comes to the that's outside, biblical. I think hmm? like we need to give and extend a enormous
1: amount of grace to those people who don't know and understand the hope that we have. So, I remember the. I see somebody, somebody sitting. I'm not going to lead. I can't lead with that. Mm-hmm. You need to put down the cigarettes. And, mm-hmm. You know, and then maybe you can find Jesus. No, bring your cigarettes with you, and let's go find
0: Jesus. And then, so oh right. my yeah. gosh, Ken, this is so good. This is so good. <clears throat> let's let's write it. Faith needs to. Heaven faster. I heard a saying, You won't go to sell over smoking, it doesn't smell like it. <laughs> 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 let's, let's write this down because this is right. Yeah. There are so many people in the world that need to hear this, Roger. So many, Just, yes. Yep. Righteousness and faith lead to obedience. That's biblical. That's what Paul is trying to get at here. If you truly believe that Jesus is who He says He is, you will be made righteous by Jesus and His acts, and that will lead to you having good fruit. You will you will do good works or actions. I like to say in that case, you will be obedient. It is not the other way around. When you stand on a corner with a sign that says, if you're a homosexual, you're going to hell, you are saying you believe this theory, that it's obedience that leads to righteousness. You are right back to where the Jews of the first century were. The law will make you righteous. That's not true. This is exactly what Paul is saying is not the truth. And and you're absolutely right, Roger. This is the message we need to remember. Condemning people for what they do, and and yeah, and Ken too. It, condemning people for what they do right off the bat before you've said anything else, you've lost them. I guarantee you've lost them. How many times did that work in, in Jesus ministry? <laughs> How many people
6: are going to come up to you and want to know about Christ when they actually start thinking about this stuff, and then you know, and you're the one that's more head
0: and not going to come? He's going to yell at me for wearing shorts in church. Yeah, of course, I'm not going to talk to that guy. <laughs> He's not approachable most hated people in the first century were tax collectors. I mean, they yep. were like the homosexuals or <laughs> answer
2: anyone you want to think about being like most like contentious group. And yep. Je- what did Jesus do? He multiplied, like to Matthew, went yep. up to it said, "Come follow me." Yep. To um, Zacchaeus, he's like, "Come and let mm-hmm. me have lunch at your house." Yep. Like he didn't lead with like, "Hey, you need to stop what you're doing." He led with love and. Then yep. it led to them being obedient, mm-hmm. and they gave up being tax collectors. Or in Zacchaeus's case, he like returned the money that he had stolen and, and things like that.
6: And doesn't it say that love covers a multitude? Mm-hmm. I have no idea, or, mm-hmm. but if we extend that love to those <coughs> on the outside. I mean, how many sins are we covering up by like, like showing love and extending
5: love, and not you know judgmental stuff? Mm-hmm. I think that um, i was seven old, like, like when I was in Kansas City, and I think when we talk about love, first thing we have to understand is that it has to be love for uh, for Christ, for the church. You know, it talks about like Christ if Christ is our spouse. If I was trashing Heather all the time yep. church, to everyone else, number one, no one would like Heather because <laughs> mm-hmm. they'd hear how terrible a person right? she is, and they would doubt if I actually loved her there's no way you can even follow letters <clears throat> and not understand the yep. Christ I mean Ephesians 1 starts with basically a giant run on sentence because he kept like oh and this and this and Jesus is great and this mm-hmm. or Philippians 3 where he says you know I'm a Jew of Jews a Hebrew yeah. of Hebrews <clears throat> I was a persecutor of the church I was the best Jew out there and then he comes back and says I counted all as worthless because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus
0: excellent I invited one of the
4: ladies from church at the building church a couple years ago. She said, Don't go preaching to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know inviting somebody to church was preaching,
0: but okay. (laughs) Okay. Science. (laughs) Number of um, shares. it's a bell curve. If you share the gospel with 100 people, you will get 10 who will outright hate you. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, there is. I mean, you need to do your part. But even just sharing the gospel alone will lead to them hating you. you they will hate you. There's nothing you can do about it. There is 10% who will right away say, I'm coming. I'll be there on Sunday. Uh, I'm gonna go buy a Bible in five minutes and I'll be there and they're gonna be in the rest of their life and then you're gonna get the 80% or somewhere in the middle don't be discouraged don't be discouraged yes you did the right thing you invited her to church I don't know if you condemned her for whatever she was doing I'm guessing you didn't because you're so sweet Yes, Thank yes, things. yes. Oh, okay, where was I? where? <laughs> Satan
1: really likes to use the obedience to faith to perpetuate the mindset of, you don't know what I've done, you don't know how bad I've been, I can't, you know, make sure of how you know, expect me to come to church, you don't know how terrible yep. uh, my deeds have been. Yep, and,
0: uh, it's, a t- it's totally good, yeah. it's a very good point. Um, I can't ever be a part of Christ because look at what I've done in my life. Ah. So, explain what you mean by that.
1: It's it's my my attempt to cover, to Ah, tone. to I'm not good enough for God. Okay. So, I mean, he said,
0: So you're saying the fig leaf is human attempt to cover our own sin, um, thinking we can. I also want to just get back to this one more thing. The problem, if you are a Christian and you are using this model to beat people over the head with you know, the Bible, <clears throat> standing on the corner, condemning your coworkers for what they do, you are falling into the trap that Jesus himself fought against his entire ministry, which is hypocrisy. This is the root of hypocrisy. It was a problem with the Jewish community. It was a problem with the Pharisees. It was absolutely a problem with the temple priests and the Sadducees who ran everything. And it's a problem with us. When we, in our minds, may be trying to do the right thing. Forget this. That it's righteousness that leads to obedience and we flip it and we get so focused on the obedience that we're starting to tell people that it's the obedience that leads to righteousness that's the trap and that's what you can't fall into and this is why people who are on the outside of our community can sometimes look at us and say you're just a bunch of hypocrites you keep preaching at me I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that and I'm doing all this wrong and I'm going to hell meanwhile I see you doing the exact same things (sighs) Okay, that's my soapbox.
1: Our biggest our biggest fear is you, I believe, is yep. that if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. If you really
0: oh, knew me, okay. you wouldn't love me. Mm-hmm. this gets at a really good point, and I think um, my mother-in-law said it, Marion, who um, made a very good point. She said, marriage is kind of like one of those things where at some point you get naked in front of your spouse, and you're putting it all out on the table, right? And at that moment, you are so sensitive and so, I know, that's right. (laughs) You see? We have a bunch of perverts in this class. I know. It it, it makes us laugh, and we're giddy, but but it's a serious point. At some point, you're going to do something that is going to make you feel very self-conscious, and you're putting your whole self out there, and you're going to be very sensitive to whatever happens from that moment on. Whatever the your partner will say will affect you deeply. There is no difference between that and giving your life to Christ. You are making yourself bare. You're taking your fig leaf away. And you're saying, this is me and all I am. And suddenly you're like, I don't know what he's going to think.
1: Until you, until you come to that reconciliation that God fully knows who I am and he fully loves me yep. anyway, that's what happens. That's what Yes. Saying. Is there. That's when we start changing our life. We accept that we're righteous, we're great, God loves us and we're worth it. I'm gonna be obedient. Yep.
0: Otherwise we've got a million different ways to try to prove it. Well so here's the the big one then that we need to write, which is there has to be trust. Did I put faith? I don't know if I had faith up here. This is this is the most important one. You're putting it all out there. Everything that you are. And you've got to trust that the other person, in this spiritual case, Christ is going to accept you for who you are. And guess what? Guess how many people he accepts who come to him truly and remove the fig leaf? 100%. 100%. Doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Any final thoughts? What's that? All of the that's right. Everyone who comes to him and, and says, I believe in you. I'm going to show you everything that I am, all of the bad and the good. He says we yes. I went Dana to Colorado a few years ago. Mm-hmm.
6: And we went to a restaurant and a waitress, I guess, she tattoos and piercings and she comes up she's like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. She comes back over. She is swearing. Like, F this, F that. Yeah. that. She's telling us i like, I was a little embarrassed. I'm like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And Dan's like, just like talking mm-hmm. to her, engaging with her, and going back and forth. And he's like, man, for a person to come up to me and just let it all like, yep. me, all like that, I would love to come here every day and just yeah. sit down and talk to her. I'm like, nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really kind of like...
0: it that's exactly it. And I think
6: mm-hmm. when we're dealing with those kind of people in our life, it really it helps us to uh, maybe stand the straight and narrow, you know, and hopefully be reminded that like, I was there too, you know, and there's still hope
0: for this person. Yep. and to to leave us on one final piece, the, the day you put the ring on the finger is not the last day. And I think what Paul makes a very important po- point here is that once you have been baptized into righteousness, that's not the end of your struggle, folks. And all of us will admit that we all have a long road ahead of us as believers. <clears throat> it's important to continue to make Christ your master and not slave uh, sin. Because your sinful nature, according to Paul, comes from where? It's your flesh, your body. Your mind chooses to follow Christ, but the body is weak right? And so, all the days of your life, it's going to be important to focus on this. If I can focus on righteousness and making Christ my master, then sin won't be.